Thank you, Gracie. God bless America. Home sweet home. We are in the book of Romans. No surprise. We've been there. I think it's appropriate how it has fallen in Romans 13, 8 through 10, because it talks about the one thing we are to give is love. And, of course, as we think about this day and we think of those who sacrifice their very lives for our freedom, and obviously that is ultimately shown in how God gave himself for us across. So anyway, we are in Romans 13, and we're only going to look at three verses today, verses 8 through 10. And so I'll ask if you stand in our God's honor as I read aloud. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the ultimate is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Master, here we are. And I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts as we continue to seek you in this hour. Master, you're the one we're here for, Lord. Because you're the only one who deserves our worship. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would continue to worship you in this time that remains and that we might catch a glimpse of the call that you've given us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, I guess that old song, it certainly has truth to it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. <laughs> and what they need is a, a love that's so often uh, different than in the way it's portrayed today in, in so many places. Because real love, the kind of love that God encourages and talks about and commands of us, is a love that involves sacrifice. It's not always that which comes easy. But often it's that that is costly. That's a picture of love. And, and uh, you know, you go back a chapter in Romans chapter 12 as it talks about sacrifice. And then starting in verse 9, it gives some general truths to what love looks like. What the kind of love that is supposed to flow out of our lives is like. It starts out, it says, verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. It's, it's not a game. It's not an act. It's, it's not something you do just on days where you come together with other Christians. But it's sincere. It's who we really are. He says, love must be sincere. And then it says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And we're not to fool around with, with that which breaks up people and breaks God's heart. And that's why sin is so ugly. Because it's destructive. And that's why Jesus came and died on a cross, because it was the only way to, to deal with this issue of sin. So hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he goes on, he says, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. There's to be this connectedness among the people of God. There, there's a devotion and honor one another above yourselves. Not, you know, I'm not to be the main person. I'm not to be the emphasis, but I'm to honor those around me. And then he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. There ought to be a passion. When we realize how we're loved, then that type of love needs to flow out of our lives, guys. 
He says uh, in verse 12, be joyful in hope, faithful in prayer, patient in affliction, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. He says through verse 13. Then he goes on verse 14. He, he starts out. He says, bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. And then he goes on the end of the chapter. He talks about a love that's really tough. I, it, it requires God. And that's a love to people who are your enemies. And he talks about what's to come out of us. Is something that doesn't come natural. Which is love. Now, that's a, the, well, it gives a, a specific description of love. Then we come to our chapter here. And uh, Chapter 13, as we looked at last time, talked about how to be a good citizen. But now we come to verse 8. And he says, "No, let no debt remain outstanding. And in some translations, it says, Owe no man anything. Owe him nothing. So some have built a whole financial stewardship campaign and curriculum out of this that, you know, there should be no debt. You should not owe anyone anything. But but the picture here is you take this in context is is not how to spend your money or how to save your money, but as you read it in context, he's saying no. The one thing that you always owe people, it's not money. He says the continuing debt to love one another, because the law is ultimately fulfilled when there is a deep love for one another, and this is not something. I just love everybody, you know, where there's no emotion and no feeling. But it's something that really comes from the heart. It, it, it's 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 emotional. It, it, you, you can't really love and be disconnected emotionally. As you go back to the start of this book in Romans 1, as Paul is talking to the church, I, just starting at verse 8, I just want you to catch a glimpse of his passion. Well, in verse 7, he says to all in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints, he says, you guys are, you guys are significant. You're special. God loves you, and you're saints, which means you're set apart for His glory. And He says, grace and peace to you. And he starts out here in verse eight. He says, I thank my God through Jesus for all of you. And he, he's thinking about him, and he just wells up with emotion. And, and then, and then he's bragging on him a little bit. He says, your faith is being reported all over the world. He says, man, you guys love Jesus, and people see it, and it. I can't tell you what that means to me. He says, God, whom I serve with my whole heart, preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how I constantly remember you. Man, they're always on His mind. He talks about praying for Him all the time. Look at the passion here in verse 11. I long to see you. He says, I wish I was there with you guys. I'm comfortable, I'm, I, I, I'm welcome, I, this is where I need to be. You're my family, as he shares with them. And what's he say? He longs what? So I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. His passion is, hey, when we're together and, and we're serving God the way he made us and we're all different, we're using our gifts together, it, it's encouraging, mutually encouraging. We, we all come away saying, man, it's good to be loved by God. And to serve God. You know, that's what he's sharing about. This kind of love, this kind of passion that's being shared uh, among the people. Uh, and, and then he comes down here in verse 14. He says, I'm obligated. Both the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. Now, I share that because this word obligated is the same word here in 13 verse 8 
That's translated debt. The continuing debt. So he's saying, I am in debt. I, I am fully obligated to everybody, the Greeks and the non-Greeks, to the wise and the foolish. He says, that's why I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. What the dead is fulfilled when the gospel is shared. And he says, that's why there's this passion, this eagerness that, that leaks out of me because that, that's what I owe. That's what I owe. And then verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You see, this is not something you sit around. No, this is something that, that comes out of you with a, with a passion and a heart. And it's not meant to keep to yourself. It's something that is meant to be shared. Uh, let's imagine that you get this uh, ailment that causes great pain. And it, it, it's in your it, it, it's, it's muscular and it even comes down where you can feel it in your bones where you're in constant pain and you go to the doctor and you try to get some kind of relief and nobody has any answers and you suffer and you continue to suffer. One day you hear about this doctor in another country and you manage to you know to go over there and to see that doctor and the doctor's just invented this drug and you're able to take the medicine and there's no pain. After taking it for a few days, you're free of the pain you used to have. And you think, oh man, I love this guy. This is so good because I don't have that constant pain that always was nagging me and taking my strength and my hope. And, and then a couple of days later, you meet a guy that suffered from what you suffered from. And you see that person. And you say, well, the last thing I'm going to do is tell him about that doctor. The last thing I would ever do is make sure that he gets that medicine. No. You feel an obligation. Why? Because, man, you have found relief. The pain is gone and there's hope now for you. And so there's an obligation. There's a debt. There's a desire that, hey, what you got to do is to be able to share. And so the passion here, guys, the command here is that what we're to share is love. But... Not not the wimpy kind of love that so often we see, but the kind of love that's Jesus Christ. That's the continuing love to be shared. He goes on here. He, I, I want you to see here. He says, continuing debt to love one another. And then you go down to verse 10, and it says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Now, that word another and the word neighbor are actually... The same word in the Greek. So there's no difference between the other person and the neighbor. It's, it's, it's the same one. And so there's no barrier to who you are to love. There's, uh, when you ask who your neighbor is, there's no restrictions. And he goes on as he talks about fulfilling the law. He, he says here, do not commit adultery. What started out with David and Bathsheba, it wasn't love. It, it started out as lust. You know, lust says, how can you make me feel good? Whereas love says, how can I make you feel good? The focus of love is not me, but it's the other party. It's the other person. That's, that's what God's love is about. Not just getting myself fulfilled, but being one who fulfills, who, who reaches out. And he goes down here through this whole list. And he mentions these commandments. You know, 
when you when you commit adultery, when you kill somebody, when you steal from them, when you covet what they have, that's not loving others. That's me trying to get love for me instead of reaching out with love. And that's not the debt. The debt is to give the love, not to always be the receiver of being loved. It's to be that friend. It's to be that neighbor. It's to be that one that cares about what is happening around them. And it is so easy, truth of the matter is, to complain about how everyone else is not loving people. And maybe everyone else. I, I told my wife a couple of instances this week where there were ministry opportunities and there was opportunity for a lot of people to be involved. But I didn't see too many involved. And so I told her, I said, you know, it's just pathetic. You know, people ought to be involved. People ought to be serving. People ought to, because this is a great thing. This needs to be done. And I don't see anybody. That bunch of low life. The problem was I was part of the low life. The more I thought about it, the more I considered, well, you know, I'm sitting here talking about how bad everybody is. I'm everybody. And that's what happens. And Paul wants us to stop and he wants us to think about that. What am I doing that shows love instead of just talks love? You see, that that's the connection here. Here's a blog I ran across I just wanted to share with you. Someone had written. They said, just heard the horrible noise of metal on metal looked out of the condo window on the highway and saw this car coming to a halt while backsliding against the barriers. Loads of smoke coming from it before I took the photo. But not one car has stopped to help, even those right behind the accident. No one's got out of the car for over five minutes. I cannot help. It's on the other... It's on the highway. And there's no way for me to get there. It's opposite where my condo is. Who do you call? Ambulance? Police service? I'm shocked not one car has stopped to help. Maybe because it's 6.30 a.m. It's raining. People don't want to be late or get wet for work. It's a poor choice, poor reason for not stopping to help what could be a seriously injured person. The photo makes the car look okay, but no one has got out of it for over five minutes, which is a bit strange when involved in an accident. This person's talking about, oh, no one's stopping to help, but why didn't you call 911? Why didn't you get involved? Like I said, it's so easy to throw the darts over here. But they need to stop and ask, what about me? What about me? The problem's timeless. It's easy to grumble. This brought me back to a very familiar passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10 which uh, you guys will recognize. And it is the parable of the Good Samaritan. He actually starts out in this parable. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In those days, those lawyers, those teachers of the law, they had often a wristband and a headband that would have portions of the law right there. They could read it and were very familiar with the law. And it's very possible that this was written right on his wrist, <laughs> what Jesus would quote. So he knew the law. And notice uh, what's written in the law. He answered, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. Look at verse 29. This is just so like me. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? You see, so often the goal is is not to love, it's to justify what I'm doing. It's to make myself look good. (laughs) It's to put myself, elevate myself above those who are around me. And that, uh, that was the real reason for him asking this next for asking this, uh, he, he says, uh, who is my neighbor? Is it the person that lives beside me, who's in the house beside me, or the apartment beside me? Or, or is it the person in the same complex I'm in, same neighborhood, in Bristol? Who is my neighbor? Lord, who's my neighbor? That's the picture. Let's, let's see if we can define this so I can figure out who I don't have to love, who I don't have to help. You know, I want to make that list accurate so I don't do any more than I have to do. <laughs> To justify himself. And of course you know the familiar parable. He starts out. He, verse uh, 30 says there's this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's mugged. He's beaten by robbers. He's left for dead. And then a couple of guys pass by. First it says a priest happened to be going down the road. He looks at him, goes to the other side of the road and walks by. I don't want to get involved, you know. <laughs> I don't want any of this trouble. Then after the priest, here comes a Levite. You know, also a man of the cloth, one set aside for God's work. He came to the place, saw him. He passed by on the other side. But then, as we notice in verse 33, he says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And, of course, most of us know the significance there because a Samaritan, you know, they were the, man, they were the low life of the day. They were, you know, if you looked on a map, Samaria was right in the middle of where the Jews needed to travel. And they would go way out of their way to go around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to come in contact with a Samaritan because you just don't associate with those people. You know, they're, they're just messed up. They're just wrong. They're, you know, they're trash. But Jesus was making a point here is this one who's considered low life and trash. He's the one who reached out. He's the one who helped. He's the one who made the difference. Has Jesus turned this all around, as as he answered, as, as as he spoke, he was making such a clear point here, the one who reached out. I want you to notice it. It's so interesting, this one that should hate this guy that's laying in the street, beaten bloody to a pulp. <laughs> but that's not how he acted. Uh, look from the parable, he says, He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He took the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn to take care of him, went way above what was necessary for sure. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He cared for him. He displayed love to him. Now, Jesus asked him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Ooh, ouch. Oop. Can't get out of this one, can I? So he answers, uh, I'm sure, a little hesitantly. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the picture of love here is not who is the hurting, who is the one who helps the hurting, who hears the call and who heeds the call, who fulfills the debt, and ultimately, here's the beauty of it, guys. 
when we see the need and we reach out in love to the need, then we get an audience to share the gospel. We say, well, nobody wants to hear the gospel. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Well, do they know you love them? Do they know you really care about them? Or are you just another notch on the belt? You know? And, and so the picture here, hey, look, I guarantee you, you know, that Samaritan, um, can you imagine this guy woke up and, and it, probably the first thing he asked, wow, what happened? How did I get here? Well, this guy came by and, and uh, he had bandaged you up. He took care of you. He said he'd even pay any medical expenses, any expenses staying here. He said, you know, to, to look at, you know, want to make sure you're taken care of. Do you think the guy said, well, was he a Jew? No way. He said, what's the guy's name? And I guarantee you when the guy came back, he would be ready to listen. Why? Because there was real hands-on, concrete, connected love that was involved in in reaching out and and touching this life. And so the question is, are you a Christian? (laughs) If that's what you are when you're in a difficult situation, you'll act according to who you are. You see. As the Samaritan reached out and loved, that's our call. That's the remaining debt. That's how we're to reach out. I close with this illustration. Uh, Opal Wetset is a Christian writer. And she was on a Greyhound bus traveling from Flagstaff, Arizona to Albuquerque, New Mexico. As she got on the bus to sit down, behind her was a young teenage Indian boy that was picked up in Flagstaff, Arizona. And as she looked behind, she noticed he was asleep. And so as they got down the road, he woke up and he had missed his stop. And he was he was upset, visibly upset. He went to the bus driver and he said, where are we? And he told him, he said, I was supposed to stop. I can't go on. He said, well, son, you can't stop now. You got to go all the way to Albuquerque. And he he said, no way, please stop the bus. I'll walk back. He said, you would freeze to death if you got out and tried to walk back now. I'm not going to let you walk. He said, you're going to have to go to Albuquerque. You're going to have to catch a bus back here. That's the only alternative. That's all you can do. You passed it a long time ago. It's too late now to get off. So he came back. He sat down. He obviously looked dejected, not knowing what he was going to do. Opal turned around and she spoke to him. She said, uh, are you afraid? Anything I can do to help? He said, I don't know. I, I've never been to Albuquerque, and besides, I don't have any money. They're going to make me pay again. I don't know what to do. She said, well, listen, don't worry. Just stick with me. When we get to Albuquerque, I'll make sure you get on the right bus. And if they want to charge you, which they should not do, I, I'll buy your ticket. Then Opal went up, talked to the bus driver, and explained the situation. She said, can you make sure the next bus he gets on, they don't charge him to take him back to where he needs to go? The bus driver finally agreed. Opal went back, sat down, turned to the young man behind her and said, it's all taken care of. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. After riding for about ten minutes in total silence, Opal felt a tap on her shoulder. She turned around and the young man leaned forward and asked, Ma'am, are you a Christian? Has anybody asked you that lately? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're called to love, Lord. Teach us 
Use us for your glory. You know where we are. You know where we've been. You know where you want us to be. Father, as we come to a time we call response, invitation, look into our hearts, deal with us. If we need to come pray at the altar, may we come or deal right where we are with you or share with your people what you're up to in our lives. Or who knows, maybe for the first time, to receive a love that's far greater than anything we could ever drum up, the love of Christ. I pray, Father, that the response would be to your call to say yes to you, whatever that is, for your glory. So, Father, um, may we say yes, whatever that may be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.